0: Let's Talk Bitcoin listeners. It's now time for The Startup. The Startup is a show featuring the founders of new companies. We want to discover how they took an idea and transformed it into a marketable product or service. Starting a business is challenging and rewarding. Our goal is to gain insight into the mind of entrepreneurs on their journey to success. Well, welcome to today's show. On this show, we feature several guests, Shaban Shameh of Everdreamsoft, the developer of the Spells of Genesis game, Robert Ross, the founder of foldingcoin.net, and Nicola Pinichiello of vanbix.com. Welcome to the Startup, guys. I'd like for each of you to introduce yourselves, starting with Shaban.
1: Hello, this is uh, Shaban Shame from Everdreamsoft. I'm the founder of the company and the
2: producer of Spells of Genesis game. Hello, everyone. Uh, Robert Ross. I'm the founder and director of Folding Coin Inc.
3: Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Nick, uh, and I'm a project manager for Bambex, and we, we do marketing and PR for uh, crypto projects.
0: Thank you. I've seen a lot of interest around the Spell of Genesis project, uh, particularly with the crowd sale. We're going to start with Shaban with a few questions. Shaban, how did you get started producing video games?
1: I started um, making games when I was um, a child, when I was very young. And I produced my first I will say commercial game, a game that I shared to uh, people on the internet uh when I was on high school and that was the first version of uh of Munga back in two thousand four two thousand five. Um then after that I did my university studies and um the mobile phones uh smartphone came out. And I decided to create a company, continue um, to work on top of uh, Munga. That was an amateur project to make it professional and um, to release it on mobile.
0: Okay. And so are you a programmer?
1: Yes, I do program. And I started when I was young. So I developed uh, the game. I, I wrote the code myself and do the designs at the beginning. And um I studied uh, business and computer, so I have a background in business marketing and also um computer and um After that, when I started the company everdreamsoft, um I moved more over uh management's management side, and uh now I do not program as much as before.
0: Okay, thank you. You've been developing games. Since you were young, what made you decide to actually take this full time and create a company around it? Uh, when I started, I
1: really saw a big opportunity over mobile uh, smartphone. It was the iPhone; it was very new, and um, the the App Store was not out yet. But um, I really thought uh, the mobile would become something. Um, very uh, used and especially for games. At that time, people uh, didn't uh, play games on their smartphone except for Snake or some rare thing. Um, but I thought that there was a big opportunity, so I decided to uh, make a product on uh, on mobile. And at that time, it was inconceivable uh, uh, people will spend any money on a game on their mobile phone. But I took the bet that it would change, and it did change, actually.
0: Okay, that's great. Were you first released on iOS or Android? And I guess you say you started in 2004. So what platform did Munga release on at that time?
1: So in 2004, it was on the web, um, a web game in PHP, Static and um in 2009 when i started munga on mobile i took back the code the server side code of munga and i uh, programmed an ios version uh on top uh as a client using the same old uh server that i started and uh still today there is some uh, still some codes running on munga that i wrote
0: um, five, uh, like ten, ten to fifteen years ago. Okay, wow, that's great. So now, tell me a little bit about how the creation of Everdreamsoft came about.
1: So, um, when I started working uh, on mobile technology, I I had an opportunity to work um, uh, with my company. I presented the project Munga uh, to the company I was working for. And they were interested, but the company was a startup, didn't survive the 2008 um, crisis. And um, I decided to uh, take the opportunity to develop the game uh, myself and and create a company around it. So I started small. Um, It was uh, just me and some people helping me here and there then we got some uh, investor who really liked what we what we were doing and who uh, believed in the vision and then after that it started growing a little bit um employing uh, other people uh, designers and to uh, to improve the product and that's the the way it started actually
0: okay you said you had a few of the people that were just helping you out were they were not paid. They were just donating their time. And then at some point, they became uh, contractors for you or employees?
1: Yes. Mo- some of them became uh, employees. Um, some of them find uh, other routes. So there, there was different uh, profile and different people that I I uh, collaborate. Some became um just fans or uh, so it, it it depends but some of them became employees to uh to
0: everdream soft. Okay. Your team at EverdreamSoft now consists of who? So
1: now we have um we have one uh, marketing manager, uh we have one developer, uh we have uh, one person who do the admin administration and also Um, design and website. We have um, external contractors as well. Um, uh, uh, Koji in Tokyo, uh, who collaborate on Spells of Genesis, since Japan is an important market for for us and for game in general. And we have a game designer um, in um, uh, Utrecht, near Amsterdam. And we have a community manager uh, in France. Okay,
0: great. I also saw on your website that you offer other services other than game development. Can you go into what those are?
1: Yes, we are um, specialized since the beginning. Our DNA is um, innovation. So we like working on um, exciting products uh, that's, not a few people are on um and we are working um we are working we are hired for several projects when it comes to innovation or or um or uh, mobile development so we do also some other projects uh, locally since uh some people know about us and contact us and say, hey, you know to do that. Can you develop uh, an app? So this way we um, we strengthen our development skills and uh, knowledge on uh, mobile
0: development. Okay, that's good. Okay, now on to the Spells of Genesis game. Can you give the audience uh, an idea? What is the concept of the game?
1: Yeah, Spells of Genesis is... Um, a new game that we are developing. Our first game um, is Munga. Munga is a card game. It's um hardcore, if I can say a hardcore card game, so for players who are um hardcore gamers. Spells of Genesis um is going a little bit more uh, casual to mid-core, if I can say. Um it's designed to be very um entertaining uh, adding some arcade feature something that you can just pick the game and just uh trying to uh, just shooting the enemies and uh, play very easily um so this is the casual part the arcade part and um the the the, the goal was to have a game that my mother could play cuz she Always told me, um, "Oh, I, I don't understand anything uh, on Munga." Um, so we wanted to add a game in our catalog that it has the um, the power and the opportunity to bring a good mass of uh, of player, but with keeping a strategic aspect. So Spells of Genesis is arcade, so it's easy to uh, to take on, but. When you start going uh, deeper on the level on the difficulty, you'll find out that some characters have strengths like water is strengths against fire, and you'll find out that all your characters are very different and have different powers. so you have to choose wisely, and this is the deck management uh, and RPG part, if I can say so a game that is casual, easy to take on, but has a high
0: depth uh, strategy in it. Well, that's good. Well, that leads us into a good segue into uh, asking a few questions of, of Robert. So, Robert, uh, you say that you're an avid trading card player. Can you talk a bit about your experience and just the general interest and in, and in, in how you got involved with trading card games? Myself, I'm not a gamer. And so I really don't understand the, the interest in that particular area. So help me out with that, please.
2: Sure, absolutely. So I've been a Magic the Gathering player for about 15 years, and my interest has just kind of always been in those kind of games, whether it be Dungeons & Dragons, Skyrim, Magic the Gathering, you know, all those nerd games. I just eat them up. I love them. And people in that kind of community that I'm in, you know, we're willing to pay top dollars for games like that because, you know, there's a lower demand in general in the mainstream because, you know, not a lot of people play Magic. So that means that the cards are more valuable because they're a little bit harder to get because not as many people are playing it and people are willing to spend money for them. And the thing that really attracted me about Spells of Genesis is it has a lot of superior advantages to a traditional trading card game to where you have physical cards. One of them, and this is probably my favorite one, even though it's not even necessarily useful to the game itself, is that the cards don't lose value due to like, conditional variables. So like what I mean by that is I have a bunch of magic cards that have like a tiny little scratch on them and that just that just depletes their value. I mean a a card that's worth $100 with a scratch on it now is only worth $10 with digital assets. You don't have that because there's no way I can actually damage the asset. It's just I have it. So that's one of the big things that traders will really like is these don't lose value. Another thing that I really like is the ability to compete in online tournaments now Magic the Gathering. They released Magic the Gathering online a couple years back, and uh, it wasn't as successful as they would have hoped it to be. Because you know, I've I've been playing Magic for 15 years, so all the cards that I've been accumulating, I can't use online. It's a separate it's a separate deck of cards that you have to buy. So, Magic players didn't really like that as much because you know we've been spending years collecting these cards, and now all of a sudden to play online, we have to buy a brand new set the reason why they couldn't just you know say hey you have card x xyz and now you're online so now we'll give you card xyz online is that there's no real way to verify if i have a card or not in a physical form as far with spells of genesis you just have the digital asset so it's really cool because you know people like me i i don't travel a lot and i'm you know i don't have the money to really go to these tournaments that are in like california or new york or things like that so i compete in indianapolis tournaments but, you know, that's not the that's not the big tournaments that you can win top dollars or that, you know, you get like – they're not like world championships or anything like that. So with Spells of Genesis and with Moonga, you know, this creates the opportunity to have the potential to do online tournaments to where everybody can compete regardless of where they are in the world. So another cool thing that I like about a digital asset in comparison to a physical one is the ability to trade with people instantaneously and not really have to go through card shops. You know, one of the big issues that happens right now with like Magic the Gathering is let's say I have a $100 card, okay? I don't need that card anymore and I want to sell it or I want to get it, get a different card. If I go to a card shop, you know, they already have – card shops notoriously have a hard time struggling with finance anyway because, you know, they might have three customers a day and maybe one of those customers buys something. So when I go to sell them a $100 card, even if it's in prime mint condition – they're going to give me $5 for it because, you know, they have to turn a profit. As for if I was to trade that with, let's say, you, Michael, me being a single trader and you being a single trader, I'm going to expect you to give me $100 of value in exchange for my card. So the problem with this is, Mike, let's say you don't want this $100 card I have. My, really, my only option is to sell it to the card shop for only 5% of its value. And that's really a problem. As for with trading on either the decks or using swap bots. This is really cool because now let's say I have, you know, let's say my XCP card I have on Moonga. Let's say I don't want that anymore. I don't have to sell it to a card shop that's only going to give me 5% of its value. I can find someone somewhere in the world and I can get its full value for it. Uh, so those are really the three big things that I like about the online trading card game in comparison to the existing physical card games.
0: It's Shabon. So Robert touched on it in, in the aspects of trading that he discussed, and that is... You combined the cryptocurrency with the game portion. Can you talk a bit about why did you do that um, and what led you to that decision? I I learned about Bitcoin. And um, firstly, I learned
1: I discovered Bitcoin um, on a purely speculative way. I thought, oh, that's cool. Um, This is something uh, the price is rising and I should get some. And the more I learned about Bitcoin and the more I got completely uh, astonished, uh, completely um, transported by all the possibility um, the blockchain offers. And it's about digital ownership. So when you own a Bitcoin, you really own it. And it's the first time... Um, in history, if I can say, or the history I know, uh, that you can own something on internet and can have uh, a specific value because it's unique or uh, it has specific uh, properties. If you t- if you think about games assets in general, so for example, for Munga, like uh, it is, it was, and it is still now, the cards are are on our database. So we, when a player logins and purchases a card, the card is on our database. And we saw in Munga some players trading cards uh, for real money, even if uh, it was not allowed by our rules. So under the table, they trade real money and in-game they do a trade with the uh, game currency uh, for a ridiculous price and when something goes wrong they contact the support and you put the blockchain in the equation um, you can give to player uh the full ownership of their cards so then uh they can trade sell um do whatever they want with their card just like the real cards uh real trading cards and what is very exciting in physical objects and real trading cards is the fact that when you purchase something um, you hold it so it's uh it's something that stays in your patrimony um and you can uh you can give it to someone you can trade it to someone uh without any intermediary saying no um you can't because this is our property and not yours so the blockchain give this um this incredible ability and it it is the perfect fit for um, a trading card game, a game online, because when someone buys a card, then he will um, he will own the card. He will be proud of the card, so he will show to to their uh, to 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 his friends. He will um, he will be an, an advocate of the game, and he will do a lot of activity online to trade, to play. And as Robert said, it opens a world where you can trade instantly with anyone in the world. So that's very, that's very exciting of
0: having the asset on the blockchain. So now I want to bring in Nick. Nick, can you give us an overview of how you're involved?
3: Uh, well, with Spelso Genesis, basically, uh, we are um, advising Shaban and the team. Uh, we also do marketing for them in terms of uh, mainly PR. Um so we write, we try to publish articles on bitcoin media um and you know there's a lot going on behind the scenes um when I say marketing uh vambex doesn't only provide marketing uh, uh, skills it uh, provides a a whole series of um uh, opportunities for the project you know we we know crypto pretty pretty well and um so anything a project requires from uh, going to, uh, you know, to host that token sale. Uh, we are able to, you know, suggest, provide even a platform. In this case, we helped with a with the platform itself, uh, which is also in partnership with uh, Shapeshift. Um, we did the design for the website and we make sure that it's there. We keep it updated. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of day-to-day activity that goes on onto our uh, team channels um there's a lot to do on uh, on forums there's a lot to do on social media there's a lot to do I mean there's a lot to do when you have a project like Genesis that wants to be recognized and wants to catch the attention of the community um uh, so at Vanvex we help with all with all of that of course um Shaban has got their own team uh, they have their own team members that take care of marketing development and all the rest uh we do provide um uh, advice for each one of those um, uh, um, job roles, let's say. We, we are not too much into the development part. That's mainly because of Genesis, but anything to do with promoting the, bro- promoting the project and getting it uh, to be known out there, that's what we do best.
0: That's great, Nick. I think your company has done a good job because I have seen several media outlets talking about the spell of Genesis game and particularly the crowd sale. So, a question to Shaban about the crowd sale. Initially, I noticed when I first heard of Spells of Genesis that you are going to be launched on Quantify, but then recently I saw that you changed to Shapeshift. Can you talk about the reason for that?
1: So, the idea of making a crowd sale um, is very interesting for us because we are producing Bit Crystal who is the uh, premium game currency of uh, Spells of Genesis and with this currency you can get all the game assets that came that come out so what is very interesting doing a crowd sale is we cut the middleman uh, the producer the game producer because people owning the bit crystal is like owning a part of the game so all the different people are owning like a piece of uh, of spells of Genesis, and since they own a piece of Spells of Genesis, a piece of all the game's asset, they are going they are uh, doing the publishing work so they are the enthusiasts they are going to talk to their friend they are going to do the um, the communication and and the marketing so it's really a product by the community for the community and only uh, the bitcoin system the blockchain system if i can say uh can allow that so that's why we decided to uh to do uh a, a, a crowd sale not just selling cards for bitcoin or um or a other currency but to have a, a real crowd sale and we went uh with uh, coinify because coinify um is a trusted platform and they have a good system where you have people holding multi-signature and milestones, and they guarantee all this. And since we are a Swiss company and um, we like things to be uh, uh, nicely done, secure, um, we we decided to work with Coinify because we 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 love their approach of doing a, a crowd sale. The problem is. They stopped their activity, so they are not doing crowd sale anymore uh, because they was lacking new project coming in. That's very sad. There is so much to do with uh, with crypto, but not a lot of people is aware of that. So then we had to um, to change the platform, and we decided to host it ourselves and to collaborate with Shapeshift. To accept um, many different currencies, because even in the game spells of Genesis, we have all this um, we have all this car- bitcoin character it's um, an allegory of um, the bitcoin and the crypto economy ecosystem, so we have the ethereum card, we have um, the counterparty card and other are, are coming um, the dwarf miners and all this thing is allegorically represented in spells of Genesis and all these different currencies also we wanted to accept them and to, um, to, to empower other, other group other, other currency to identify themselves as a guild or as a part of the, uh, the game universe as well
0: the magic word for this episode is Genesis. That's G-E-N-E-S-I-S. Log on to Let's Talk Bitcoin dot com to receive your reward. Now, back to the show. For our listeners that may not know what a crowd sale is, can you just explain? So simply a crowd sale is we are...
1: It's like a crowdfunding, like on Kickstarter. Um on Kickstarter, for example, I will call it the old model. Uh in Kickstarter, you um you present a project, a company presents a project idea, and then um people um might back these projects by giving money, and then those people, the backers, receive uh, t-shirts. They will receive the products. They will receive some new characters in the game, etc. So this is the the old model of doing crowdfunding and the crowd sale. The idea is to deliver things that are registered on the blockchain. Since things on the blockchain are um, owned by the uh, purchaser, uh, he will be able to uh, to trade. Uh, the asset. So in, in our case, it's Bit Crystal. So the, the crowd sale people are purchasing a currency with the Bit Crystal. That's the game currency. And this Bit Crystal, there is a limited number 100 million. There will be no more. So this means the whole game economy uh, will be represented by this uh, Bit Crystal supply. So people who purchase it at the beginning, um, they will get a part lifetime of uh, the whole game. So then there will be the, uh, evangelists. They're going to tell their friends, they're going to invite their friends to play the game and they are going to share a part of the bit crystal they have or the character they had at the beginning. And the card will be more demanded and more valuable.
0: Okay. And also I saw on the site that you offer two different partner levels. What are they and, and why were they needed?
1: So that's the um, the very interesting point about having games asset on blockchain is the fact that people can resell your asset. And this is very new. Um, if you take all other games, um, you have no way or limited way to be a reseller of um, in-app purchases. So it's very difficult to uh, sell a sword. Uh, from uh, World of Warcraft to someone else without doing some transaction in, in the game itself. Um, with Spells of Genesis, we cannot refrain anyone to resell our, our game asset. So what we do, um, instead of, uh, trying to keep all the self or ourselves and limit, um, limit people to sell our own game asset we are uh, putting partnership plans. So people who, uh, who spend more than a threshold, for example, they will be partner. It's like a reseller uh, in the physical object. So they will have advantages. They will have discounts. So they will be able to purchase those cards before the others, for example, for the partner grade. They will have new stuff coming out one month prior to the other and they will have depending on the level some discount so this way they will be able to create their own shops and sell uh, own digital shops and sell game asset as it would uh, happen in the real life so it gives a significant advantage for people who believed in the project in the beginning and who uh, gave some um, some bitcoin for for bit crystals
0: Robert, can you talk about the two partner levels and why, as a player of the game, why that could be important for you to leverage?
2: So that would be really cool to have access to a card basically before everybody else. Um, The reason being is because that could kind of get you a leg up on getting a rare card. You know, for example, the Satoshi card right now, which, by the way, I'm the very first person who got one. I'm really proud of that. Um, The Satoshi card. Spells of Genesis did a couple flash sales to where they basically gave out the Satoshi card randomly before this before this current Bit Crystals crowd sale. And only like four or five people got it, I think. Uh, with the partner rewards, you can actually get more Satoshi cards. And there's only going to be 200 available. Now, I see the Satoshi card kind of like Magic the Gathering's Black Lotus card. You know, this is the card that could be extremely valuable one day because it's super rare. And odds are it's, it's going to be a really good card to use in the game. And having early access to limited edition cards can really be the difference between winning and losing a tournament. Because if you wanna win a tournament, you really have to have the best cards. Now, you know, somebody who's just kind of an entry level player and is kind of playing with their friends, they could get a starter deck and you know, they could just have fun with their friends. It's still a great game. But if you enter into a tournament, you gotta have a deck that's worth some money. So like My last deck that I entered in my last tournament, which I think was like two years ago. I haven't done a tournament in a while. uh, The deck I was playing with was worth about $800. You know, that's cardboard. That's worth $800. That's crazy. So having access to get those cards before everybody else is great. Because in my $800 Magic the Gathering deck, I specifically remember there's like four or five cards that I really needed in that deck that I just couldn't find. Because, you know... Magic works kind of like Moon to where some cards are just limited edition and, you know, there's only X amount out there. And so getting those cards is really, really crucial. For the player rewards, though, those aren't bad, too, because, and Siobhan, correct me if I'm wrong, the partner rewards, they basically get first access to the cards, and then the player rewards, they're the premium store access, they get basically second dibs on the same cards. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the uh, premium store holds different cards. So some card will be not available anywhere else than the premium store and the partner store will also hold those but uh with one month uh, advantage be- before the others.
2: Oh, okay. So yeah, so see that that would be uh having the one month leg up is is really really good. Uh still with the player rewards, that's that's still a really good advantage to have it even a month after the partners cuz They might not sell up in the partner stores, but if they do, then the people who are in the partner stores, even if they didn't want that card, they have the advantage of having a card that they can basically decide the market value on because that's that's kind of the weird thing about these trading card games is, you know, unlike other things like cars and houses that go up and down in value, there's basically like. Over amount of time, there's like a set value that gets determined for these cards, and they kind of just retain that value. And so, for example, with Magic the Gathering, the Black Lotus card, that's considered the most powerful card in the Magic the Gathering game of all time. And it has a value, an average one has a value of about $5,000. And the weird thing about this card is you can't even use it in the Magic the Gathering game anymore. I can't go to a tournament and have a Black Lotus in my deck because they're now an illegal card. Because they're so really, they're really, really good, but even though you can't use them in the game, they're still worth five thousand dollars so if you can get these cards when they're brand new, so like if I have access to the partner store, I may be buy, be able to buy a card for maybe a hundred dollars, and then once the cards sell out, their market value may go up oh. to two thousand dollars, and even if you can't use the card anymore, collectors still like to have them because you know it's all about collecting everything it was kind of like pokemon which i also played you know guy collect them all is there a reason no but you just want them all because it's awesome (laughs) that's pretty
0: interesting (laughs) i have a question for nick on this with your consulting with shabon and Everdream soft how are you trying to get the casual gamer for a person like myself that doesn't play trading card games how would you appeal to me
3: well um that's an easy answer um, if, when you look at the crypto space uh, there are many people that are involved mainly for speculation um, so when you look at the card assets um, especially the limited edition ones uh, they're very interesting for a broader um, public not only the gamer that wants to play in the game but also for collectors in general uh, you know people collect stamps people collect uh, uh, football stickers, people collect uh, baseball stickers. So all sorts of things. That doesn't necessarily mean that they play baseball or they play football. Uh, they just do it because it's something they're passionate about. And the fact the limited edition um, situation about those cards is um, is attracted to many people. In the crypto space in particular, um, people buy, uh, speculators buy coins mainly because they believe that eventually they will go up in value. Uh, so there's a new coin that came out today. Um, whatever they're trying to do with their coin, uh, they say, oh, it's pretty cheap. I'll buy it. God knows, maybe uh, in two months it might be worth more. Same with those cards. You know, uh, When you have only 200 cards available for the uh, Satoshi card, which is our most, uh, which is Genesis' most rare card, um, people will just buy it, thinking that, you know, i buy it now for 0.3 of a Bitcoin uh, in two months or in three months when Spezogenesis is out and there's going to be like, let's say 10,000 player or 20,000 player or half a million player and there's only 200 cards. What are the chances that the card is going to go up in value? And I believe that the the chances are really high. And that's why, you know, those cards are selling like, like, uh, you know, uh, um uh, they're selling very very well. Um, so, yeah, that's the way we're, we are marketing it um, or the way that we're trying to attract people to it. Uh, it just does it by itself, you know, especially in the crypto space where people is always trying to to make a profit on, you know, with little money, try to make a little bit more.
0: Well, I can tell you that that, that strategy worked because I purchased some in the crowd sale myself. I saw it as a opportunity because I I don't understand the game, I haven't played it, but I did see a lot of interest. And so from a supply-demand equation, it seemed as if it uh, it was gonna be profitable in the future. So I said, hey, let me give it a try. Well, now at this point, I have a couple panel questions and either of you can respond to the question. And the first question is, why do you think pairing crypto and video games is a big deal?
3: In my opinion, the the big deal is that by giving the, by pairing a video game, and especially the assets of the video game, pairing them with a blockchain with a with an asset that, in this case with Counterparty, so it's an asset that is immutable. Uh, once cards are released and once big crystals are released, you know there's a set number. Um, basically, what you're doing, you are actually getting the owners of these assets, either big crystals or those cards to be actually the real owners um, of these items. So they can basically sell them. Uh, they can exchange them. They can do basically whatever they want with them, you know, even if they're not players, as I mentioned before. Uh, they can keep them for a while, wait until they go up in price, or simply, you know, they can buy two or three of one card uh, if they're lucky enough that they have the opportunity. Um, and then basically, you know, sell a couple or exchange them for other cards that are going to come out in the future, which they can't afford or they want, don't want to spend money to for them, buying them. But because they have these previous cards, which have raised in value, they can just simply exchange them or trade them or, you know, whatever they prefer. Same with big crystals. By having big crystals, if you understand the way big crystals work, uh, basically uh, big crystals are going to be used for, uh, purchasing cards after the token sale—you can only purchase assets or in-game items uh, with big crystals. Um, so once the token sale is finished, whoever owns big crystals owns part of the game. So you are actually giving people uh, ownership of part of the economy.
1: I, I will add: um, very important part is—we'll uh, see with we saw so with the swapbot tokenly. Uh, people will be able to exchange cards for hard disk space. For example, we made a partnership with Sorjay. So basically what you own in the game, you can trade for anything else. So for example, uh, the hard disk space or um, digital media um, advertisement space, or even you could imagine that you go to your uh, favorite store um, and you want to buy a panini and then you look at your, um, Your old asset collection, and you say, "What can I give for a panini?" So you can, for example, give a a, a game asset. And even if the uh, a shop owner is not um, is is not uh, a player, he might accept it because this has a, a value, and he can directly swap it to another thing, swap it to Bitcoin, or swap it to a discount on his supplier, for example. So uh, giving this gives uh, an infinite way of uh, trading um, game asset, but o- not only game, um, anything, anything else was uh, international market.
0: Now, on this question, I want each of you to answer and we'll start first with Robert, then Shaban, and then Nick. Lastly, do you think that you were born a business owner or did you grow or evolve into becoming one?
2: So I think a little mixture of both, you know, I didn't really see myself as, you know, running a project or running a company or anything like that, but I've always kind of been interested in management. You know, most every job I've had since high school, I've been in some sort of management or entry management level. Uh, my job I was at for a decade, a company called Vertec here in Indianapolis, you know, I was a project field manager for about uh, maybe six of the 10 years that I was there. And I definitely evolved into being a a really good leader. I guess over time, you know, I I think I am a natural born leader. I think I do have the skills, but and that's that's natural born leader is really a good requirement for being a business owner or a project lead or anything like that. Uh, but it definitely, you know, throughout my throughout my early adult life, I definitely evolved into gaining those skills by being taught by people who were of higher management level than me, which gave me the skills to be able to run a project, which I think is going pretty well. It's it's my first project I'm running on my own, but uh, I think it's going pretty well so far.
1: All right. Thank you. Next. So for my part, I will say uh, it's um, dri- driven by the vision. Um, the vision is very, um, very important to be an entrepreneur, I think. Um, when you have this vision and you see how you can change things, how you can innovate, um, then you have to do something, and if you don't uh, move your own company or you are dependent to an old school company, you cannot achieve that, and that's refrain you um, to sleep because you you really need to to see it alive. So then, in in that case, this vision um, push you, and then people uh, are following you because you have this vision. And that's, that's the, uh, the way, um, I became entrepreneur. So I, ha- I had to learn a lot. It's not like I, I, thought I want to be an entrepreneur. It's just I wanted to have, um, a game, a card game on the internet like 10 years ago, because I saw it as a big opportunity. Then I saw, uh, opportunity on mobile gaming. So I wanted to, to do something. And uh, we were the first card game uh, on iOS. And then today, uh, what drives me is I want to have this uh, digital asset, and I see a bright future for it. So uh, this vision pushed me always uh, among difficulties or or challenges uh, to uh, to 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 achieve that.
0: Thank you for that. Nick.
3: Uh, well, more than a entrepreneur, I consider myself an advisor. Um, I'm, apart from uh, Vambex, which is uh, my main activity, uh, thanks to Lisa Cheng, which is the founder and director, um, I, through Vambex, I'm able to work on a number of different projects, learn from them, uh, get involved with them, and so it's really, really, it's, it's a really interesting job. Uh, apart from that, I'm also a team member on a number of uh, crypto projects, namely Actum, um Storage, Scenario, and Swarm. And I'm also a writer for a Brave New Coin. Um, so the way my history, you know, I'd done my studies in computer science. Then I moved from Italy. I'm originally Italian. I moved from Italy to London in the UK. Uh, and then I worked for the Financial Times for 15 years. Um, and I was an IT specialist there for 15 years. And I got to a point where um, it was a little bit too long for me to work for a place. And I wanted to do something different. Then Bitcoin came out. I was a miner originally. Uh, Then mining became uh, not that profitable unless you invest too much money in it. And so then I started getting involved with different projects. The first project was storage. Then I went on to Factom. Then I joined Bambex. Then I joined Scenario and then Swarm. And and I collaborate with a lot of other projects. I help out on the counterparty foundation as well. Um, So for me, it's mainly learning as as much as I can about all these projects and um, helping out where I can and, um, you know, in the future, possibly be an advisor.
0: Well, that's great. I appreciate the the time of you all answering those questions. Here's a portion in the show where we we ask some different questions just to uh, let our listeners learn a little bit more about you. What are you all passionate about other than the businesses that you're helping out or running?
2: So I'll go ahead and start that one because I like that question. So, actually, the answer for me is really nothing. Since I've been involved in Bitcoin, it has just consumed my life. Uh, I know I got involved about two and a half years ago. And for about a year, just like Nicola, I was a miner. And I was a miner for about a year and a half until I started Folding Coin. And then I started getting involved in Counterparty. And it's really all I do. I mean, I, I still work a little bit at my old job. Um... To bring in some money. I'm working there. Some months I work four days a week. Some months I work two days a week. It just depends on their needs. So, like in July, I was four days a week. Now, here in August, I'm only two days a week. Every minute of my free time is just passionately about Bitcoin and Counterparty Unfolding Coin. I really don't hang out as much anymore. You know, I'm kind of the guy when I go to the bar with everyone, they're like, oh, here's Bobby. He's going to talk about Bitcoin or politics. And (laughs) so, really, that is my passion. You know, I've, I kind of, you know, what I was known for in my early 20s by my other friends is I was always trying different projects and getting involved in things. So, like, I I started a charity here in Indianapolis years ago that was helping other charities develop websites. I was a IT admin for the Red Cross for a little bit in a Michigan chapter. And, you know, I've tried to do some other little ventures. I keep throwing stuff against the wall and, you know, nothing I was really too passionate about bitcoin i've been on for two and a half years and there's really no turning back for me you know i've i've found my passion in life and that's cryptocurrency
1: so uh to answer uh, answer the question um same like robert uh i don't have much free time so running a company is um is very demanding so the thing i'm very passionate about these days of course is uh all this cryptocurrency scene bitcoin and stuff so i i I always learn more and get the information and see how how and where it is going. I'm also passionate about um games um and i will say uh i t in general so but these days what uh, drives me through is all this innovation around the the blockchain so that's push keeps me awake uh in the night. Okay. Nick? Uh,
3: Well, you know, you should expect that from three people that are working pretty much uh, with Bitcoin and blockchain, these are going to be the kind of answers you're going to get. I'm the same as the other two. And, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about blockchain and Bitcoin, all these different projects. You know, being a part of so many projects is very demanding for me as well. You know, I sleep on a medium three to four hours a night, um, and I'll just continue to work. Since I left my day job, I resigned uh, the financial times uh, in May, um, and I thought, you know, by leaving my day job, I'm going to have some more spare time for myself. And how wrong was I? Um, you know, the more time I have, the more I spend it doing, um, you know, helping out on all these different projects. Uh, one thing I'm passionate about is, uh, and because I see where this is going, Some of the projects are trying to empower people, uh, the normal people, not the 1% that owns the riches, you know, of the world. Um, So my main aim in life uh, or, you know, for what I do uh, in this space is to leave the world uh, a better place than I found it. Um, So basically, like storage is trying to decentralize cloud storage to make, you know, uh, cloud storage a very private and secure place where to store your personal data. Factom is trying to um, uh, make uh, record keeping transparent for everybody, for banks, for, co- for countries, for, you know, uh, places where they keep records about, you know, legal issues or, you know, land title, land title records and, and, and all sorts of things like that. Scenario is trying to decentralize social network. Facebook sells your data, Facebook makes money out of your data. The marketers uh, that uses Facebook, they have access to private, personal information that shouldn't be happening, and Sanario is trying to put a stop on that. Um, Swarm as well is trying to make uh, uh, funding of projects um, a a more fair experience for everybody, allowing everybody to be able to raise money for a project uh, for whatever they believe in. And, and with all this, I'm trying to write as well uh, for Brave New Coin and trying to write about the projects that I like more or, uh, you know, whatever comes up in the news. And uh, we'll uh, we try to give a, an objective view of, uh, you know, what we, we are trying to write about. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we all are very passionate about uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. If the, I can say there is something I like, apart from this, it's traveling. Uh, I haven't traveled much the, the last couple of years uh, because I've been so involved with these things. Uh, but traveling is one thing that really uh, does it for me. And every time I travel, I like to discover new places, new cultures, new people. And it's a very fascinating experience all the time.
0: Well, guys, I think we'll wrap up there. I thank you all for your time. Is there anything that you all would like to share with our listeners and give us contact information for each of you?
1: sure uh on my part um i will say um i thank you very much for uh for for what we live now we we got we raised um seven hundred bitcoins so far, and we have also a lot of people who are very interested in what we're doing, and I love uh working with um with uh, these kind of people early adopters. Uh, people who are into, uh, these technology who are enthusiasts and we got a lot of enthusiasm around us. And this really drives me and the team at Everdreamsoft. So I want to thank, uh, thank everyone to be a part of this, um, to work on those uh, crypto space. That's really, uh, really awesome. There is a lot of beautiful projects. Uh, that I follow and I'm hoping to, uh, to, to see more. So, uh, yeah, I want to, to thank everyone for their, um, hardship on this. And, uh, thanks, Nick, uh, for helping us on this, um, a lot who, who really, uh, helped us. And, um, and Robert also with Folding Coin. The, the project is beautiful so that Robert was our first uh, partner in this in card distribution because folding coin is uh, really amazing and um and yeah so 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 that's pretty much uh
2: i'm very excited one thing i would like to add just to kind of give people more of an insight from a magic player i'm looking at the uh crowd sale right now for bit crystals and this is amazing It's at exactly at the time of this recording set 730.9 bitcoin raised and you know what's really cool about this is it's only from 206 backers. Now, 206 backers, that's a lot of people. But if you do the math, that's like three and a half Bitcoin per person that are actually giving to make this project happen. And the reason why I want to bring up that point is because I want to reemphasize when it comes to trading card games, the interest as in percentage of people in the world is really low, you know, not that many. I don't really know many Magic Gathering players, but with lower with lower interest comes much higher demand assets and cards like these can be worth a fortune i mean you got 200 people that are willing to spend an average of three and a half bitcoin for this project you look at some of the other crowd sales that are happening you have a lot of backers but each person's like you know uh i'll give like 0.2 bitcoin to this and if it fails it fails if it doesn't it doesn't With spells of genesis people are willing to actually give a a lot of bitcoins because they know that games like this tain value in my opinion uh, so then, my contact information—it's all over the internet. I'm R Ross at FoldingCoin.net. Feel free to contact me, anybody, if you have any Counterparty questions. Uh, I am a community director for Counterparty, and I appreciate what Shabon is doing in the space. Uh, never, I never—I didn't think when I first entered Counterparty that a trading card game was going to be one of the coolest projects in the space. And being built on Counterparty just makes me really happy. It's a fantastic project, and. Also, thanks for Nick. I see him all over the place. Like he said, he's involved in so much stuff. Every time I enter a new chat room, he's, of course, already there. So thanks, Nick, for being really active in the space. Um, so, yeah, so anybody feel free to contact me with counterparty advice or if you just want to kind of chit-chat about folding Uh
3: Yes, I'm excited as well about Spezogenesis. Uh, one thing in particular is that whenever I talk about Spezogenesis, you have to understand the most uh, focus on the Bitcoin space is towards fintech and uh, uh, financial uh, payments, um, you know, opportunities. While well, when you have a game like spezogenesis like Spelldogenesis, that um, is getting into the space, uh, people are very excited because it's something different, it's something original, and that's why I believe the support is coming because uh, uh, people are like, oh, wow, there's something new. that, you know, people is using Bitcoin or blockchain for, so this is pretty exciting uh, for. What I can say uh, for what I do, uh, if you have a crypto project and you need a little bit of help, advice, marketing or PR, you know, just feel free to reach out at Vanbeck's group. Uh, the email address is PR at Again, PR at And we'll see what we can do for you.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Startup contents for the show was provided by Shaban, Robert, Nick, and Michael. If you are a founder of a startup and would like to be on the show, please email Michael at mikepair at gmail.com. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-I-R at gmail.com.